Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is January 21st, 2024 at 4.08 p.m. As always, we're to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I'm joined by the one and only Baron of Bonds, Brandon Beaver. Brandon, how are you? Out of six, only six drives, only six drives on the defense did they run man-to-man coverage. The rest was zone for the Dallas Cowboys and the Packers game. The rest was zone. Every game this season that they played zone, they got blown out and beat downfield. Why? Why are you playing zone coverage against the Packers in every play except for six? That doesn't make any sense to me. Dan Quinn needs to go. Hey, Mike McCarthy's coming back to Dallas Cowboys. Great. Wonderful. The fact of the matter is, is that this is the best year ever to hire a coach. There's so many coaches on the market, and you're bringing back the same guy that can't win in the playoffs. So if you're new to this podcast, this is a stock and investment podcast, but uh, we have a very passionate uh, fan here of the Dallas Cowboys, Brandon. Brandon is uh, really upset about last week's loss. I'm sure you'll find a way to move on. I do it every year, man. It's okay. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't get it. And then they just inducted uh, um, Jimmy Johnson into the Ring of Honor. That was awesome. Uh, Very frustrating, though to uh, see Jerry Jones honor Jimmy Johnson and then mention Tom Landry, two guys he fired. <laughs> well, <laughs> Remember Jimmy Johnson, the guy that won you two Super Bowls and you fired, and Barry Switzer still not in the ring of honor, even though he brought a trophy home. He was the last one in you know, 28 years to do it. And you still have a grudge against him? So I promise you, if you're a new listener, we will get the stocks and investments some at some point here. <laughs> this is a financial podcast, really. I mean it. <laughs> yes, Brandon, I understand your points. I understand your points. I really do. Um, if you're wondering, is there something different about my voice? There is. I am very, very sick. Luckily, this is a remote from work from home gig that we, Brandon and I, do with this podcast. And I am here at home in a hoodie trying to drink lots of liquids and get healthy. Uh, and Brand, Brand, uh, Brandon is looking for a new therapist this week because uh, he fired his last one after Cowboys lost. So yeah, um, <laughs> anyways, uh, anyways, lots of things happened uh, this past week. There was a lot of good, uh, interesting earnings um, and everything that we could we hit highlights on for a minute or two on each one. Um. Some of the big banks had earnings last week. Uh, I think JB Hunt had some earnings too. We could talk about that and transportation in, uh, industry and how that looks. Um, whether or not you think it's like a Ford looking like it trails or it leads the overall market. Some people have arguments for one or the other on uh, transportation, but uh, I, I tend to think it kind of leads a little bit. Um, so uh, looking forward to talking about that and then uh, some other the earnings coming up this week and what's going on with that. Lots of good stuff to talk about in this podcast. Um, I know, Brandon, you have a few key things you want to get to. So the rules are, Brandon and I get together five to ten minutes before the show, and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. You hear the live back and forth, the live uh, discussion right here on the show. Uh, so, Brandon, take it away, man. Lead us yeah. off. You know, so last year I, I had the uh, – I was in the mindset that we were going to have a recession – um, and that it would be a uh, not not debatable. I think I thought it was going to be a pretty you know decent sized recession. Hasn't happened yet. 
We did go into a correction. I had some people ask me last year why I wasn't selling SPY uh, when we were in the middle of a correction and I had a bad outlook for the market. And I said, because there's nobody that's listening to this podcast right now, I don't think, that doesn't believe that at some point, at some time in the future, the S&P 500 would hit new highs. It did that last week. Uh, still holding SPY for that reason. I don't think that the setup right now is very good. I think that we've we've um, kind of priced the market into perfection. But um, I think SPY is, you know, one of those things that you hold as long as you can hold it. You know, you hold it until, until retirement or, you know, you hold it to pass it on to your kids. It's, uh, but that's my opinion about it. Dave, what do you think about the setup of the market going on? We just hit all-time highs last week for the S&P 500. Uh, the chip uh, chip makers have been going off the uh, hinges here, going crazy because I think of, of future speculation and some of it might be right about where we're going and growth in the chip industry. Uh, last year, for a lot of the chip makers, at least, was not that great. Uh, we can talk about Taiwan Semiconductor's earnings for last year, mostly because of supply chain shortages. Uh, I'm going to get into that in a second, but where do you think we're going from here, Dave? <laughs> Thank you. I was like, you asked me a question and you kept talking. Um uh, where do I, where do I think we're going from here? Uh, so, all right, let's let's rehash a couple points you made, right? Uh, S and P five hundred hit all time highs, right? And that's really due to the you know the the tech stocks are pushing that, the the big names behind that one, uh, really leading the way there, and there's good reason for it. I mean, Nvidia, uh, Meta came out, um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg came out on TV and he said, hey, we're buying billions and billions and billions in Nvidia semiconductor chips. And he just came out and said that. So NVIDIA jumped up in price. That would be the reason and the main force behind that. It was a macroeconomic event. There was no fundamental news that came out that made the news go up that way. It was Mark Zuckerberg coming out on TV saying, we're buying tons of these ships. Because if he is, then you know Microsoft is. Then you know Google is. Then you know all the other ones are as well because they're the ones that lead the way in innovation. Um, and then last year was a great year for the semiconductors. Um, the problem that the semiconductors have are uh, they have it's ge it's mainly geopolitical events. They have tariffs going on between U.S. and China, shipping back and forth of supplies they need to get from one place to another. That's causing headaches for some of the semiconductors. And then, yes, it is the possible uh, problems that could happen that everybody says could happen in Taiwan that we've been saying could happen for years now. The more I, I, I talk, my, I talk about it, the more I, I get numb and callous to it, unfortunately. But. You know, I mean, th those could happen, but th what I see is I see there's more demand than what they can keep up with. So I don't see their numbers being hurt anytime soon, as long with the, with the caveat, as long as they can keep up with the demand. Well, Taiwan Semiconductor's uh, profit dropped nineteen percent um, for the year. Um, they're the maker of these chips. The chip, uh, and, the, and they've been facing a sales slump in recent months. Clients have cut back on their inventory. This was following a pandemic-driven surge in demand for the chips. Um, operating profit margin, though, um, it was still decent, but it did deteriorate down to 41.6%. That was down 10% um, from a year earlier uh, for the first quarter. Uh, but go ahead, Dave. You, you can talk because I want to get to the other side of this because there's a but to it. Okay, good. I'm glad there's a but. Um, I do want to uh, – to a couple years ago, they started building up uh, manufacturing plants in other areas of the world 
to build ships other places. That's A, number one. That's As soon as those get up and running, that's going to have a direct impact on Taiwan Semiconductors, specifically that company. B, a lot of the chips, uh, such as uh, for PCs and, uh, and other devices, aren't being uh, used as much. So those chips are seeing less. It's NVIDIA's chips mainly is what I was talking about was uh, being they can't keep up with the demand. So NVIDIA specific. but And then uh, there's a couple other ones. Um that that look promising, but yet I, I I gotta see the numbers. I gotta wait for an earnings report to see the numbers that they reported for last year. Uh, but Nvidia guaranteed, they just can't keep up with demand. They're gonna have a great year again. Well, for this year, um, for the first quarter, Taiwan Semiconductor is predicting that uh, revenue will decrease to about eighteen billion to eighteen point eight billion dollars uh, from nineteen point sixty two billion dollars in the fourth quarter. Uh, but it's forecasting that its operating profit margin will stay in that 40 to 42% range. And at the same time, all this, though, they're looking forward for the next 12 months. They're saying revenue is going to increase this year by 20%. Um, they said that the, smart, the smartphone market is finally starting to expand again. Global shipments in the fourth quarter of 2023 grew 8.5% year on year. Um, compared with a 3.2% decline for the whole of 2023. So good news ahead, good forecast here, but, you know, missing the mark on uh, last year's sales numbers for Taiwan Semiconductor. I just, I, you know, maybe NVIDIA, NVIDIA continues to knock the uh, earnings out of the water and beat it all. I, I don't think this presents a good setup for Intel if they disappoint on their fourth quarter or earnings. I think the semiconductor... Uh, industry as a whole in the stock market is set up for perfection with everything that could possibly be good happening priced in already. And, um, you know, your makers uh, or your uh, your semiconductor companies like Intel, for example, um, I would not be buy a buyer of those going into earnings this year. I would not be a buyer either. I just sold my Intel position Q4. Um, I, I, I wouldn't go buy back in either. I agree with you on that. Um, I believe there's going to be winners and losers, and I believe one of the winners will be NVIDIA. I don't think they're going to knock it out of the park because, again, they just can't keep up with demand, so they can't make it fast enough. So I think their numbers may be the same as last year, very little growth, 30% growth maybe, not the 70 to 80% growth, and it's because they don't have the capacity to grow much more uh, that fast because they, they just their facilities aren't around. Yeah. Um, that's what's slowing them down. Uh, but if there was, then yeah, the video would would have huge growth this year if if they could, but they can't. I um, so, but uh, yeah, again, it's going to be winners and losers. So pick very carefully. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not a buyer of Intel either. I agree with you 100. I am a. I would. Uh, I don't know buyer of Nvidia right now. They just did, did a gap up, and anytime a company does a major gap up like that, I tend to be hesitant unless I firmly believe in the future of that company and it's a long term investment. Right, right. I would be very selective about semiconductors going into earnings um, if you are going to buy into that industry. Very, very selective. I think NVIDIA would be the only one that would possibly be on my buy list at this point for a long-term buy. Uh, but even that, I would be careful with. Um, now, let's go on to the next subject here because that's uh, that's all I've got on that. <laughs> Jeff, well, I mean, one one that I would say would be a good uh, one to look at would be super uh, micro computer uh, 
uh, that that company, I also would uh, take a look at them as well. I just really love their name. I mean, you're going to name yourself Super Microcomputer um, Inc. I mean, come on, uh, I like you already, but uh, they actually are producing at, at a good rate. So that'd be another one I would be looking at as positive. Sorry, now you may move on. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Good feedback there. Uh, JetBlue's acquisition of Spirit was blocked. That was big news this week. Caught a lot of people off guard, but a lot of people weren't surprised. I wasn't very surprised with it. I wasn't. I was staying away from it because I think that, uh, you know, you're looking at the JetBlue acquisition of Spirit. This is kind of a whole political thing. Um, there's a lot of hands in the basket when it comes to the airlines. It's not surprising to me that the Justice Department considered this possibly a monopoly, even though it's not. Um, hey, well, all right. So, sorry. I'm going to jump in here, man. Um, no, no. Well, you you got to allow JetBlue and Spirit to to merge. I don't believe it's going to be a monopoly because what's going to happen is Spirit's going to disappear, and now it is a monopoly. Now there is yeah. no lower cost. No, no I don't think you it allowed I, I them to merge to let it continue. I'm just saying that's what the argument was, and it doesn't surprise me that the um, Justice Department jumped in and blocked it. That's uh, so why you know I, I I am known I think a little bit for my playing with the MNA activity and stuff but i stayed away from it and this is the reason why i stayed away from it i don't agree with the decision but it doesn't surprise me hey i mean look they they, they don't they don't surprise me anymore with any of these kind of decisions i i believe someone just didn't pay off the right person or the right government employee isn't happy with that company or something like that nowadays i'm very skeptical and uh callous towards towards these things but at, at the same point, like I, I disagree with the fact that the government's saying that uh, you need a low-cost carrier to compete and keep airplane prices uh, lower. I'm like, yeah, but Spirit's going to disappear because they're too low cost. Yeah, That's yeah. the problem with their, I mean, with with their numbers. And I know you're going to get into the numbers here in a second, but like when we look at it, that's the problem. They have to start raising uh, uh, prices. They can't continue at these these rates that they're going at. And so that's why they needed the merger to happen, and now it's not going to happen. I mean, if you look at the low-cost airfare, you know, the, the budget airlines, so to speak, the only one that I would think to look at would be Allegiant, if you're thinking about buying one of them. That's the only one. And I'm not even touching that, because still the net profit on that's only like 6%, so that's too low for me. What's the profit on Southwest? Uh, I mean, they're, are they considered? They're not budget. Yeah, they're, they're not, considered they're, budget. No, they're not they're considered budget. Yes, no, they they are considered budget. Oh, please, everybody, DM on Instagram, Chinchilla Bacon, and let me know if you think that Southwest is considered budget because they are considered budget. Well, I mean, maybe them. I didn't really look at them, but I was looking at all the competitors, all of the people that were quoted as competitors in the in earnings and by analysts and stuff like that. They weren't included. So, um, but Allegiant was the one that, and they're the only one making money. Even after last year, which is, you know, probably the best year for airlines that they're going to have in a long time. Uh, pulled a lot of demand for, well, backwards, I guess, if, if this is the way you want to go with it. Because there's a lot of pent-up demand from um, from the pandemic that came forward. A lot of people that hadn't been doing international travel or domestic vacations, things like that. That decided to go on vacation and do internet, you know, international travel, and really pumped up kind of the earnings for the airlines last year. And if you can't make money in that environment, I don't know what to tell you. I don't want to touch it. But um, this would have been a three point eight billion dollar deal. Um, Spirit said in a regulatory filing that is considering, re and this is another thing that kind of concerns me. They're refinancing 
um, on debt. And they got $1.1 billion due in September of 2025 on short-term uh, debt notice here. Uh, $1.1 billion. They're going to try to refinance this instead of restructure. Um, now you're refinancing with what are most likely um, exorbitantly high interest rates compared to what you had. Uh, and I think you're just kind of kicking the can down the road here towards what will probably be a bankruptcy and forced restructuring as the bankruptcy anyways. Um, but I guess, you know, we'll see if they can make something happen with that. I just don't, you know, I, I think you're gambling at this point if you're staying uh, and, and holding shares of Spirit Airlines. Um but it may pay off. I mean, they may actually, the deal might go through. JetBlue filed an appeal. Uh, so the deal might go through. So that, that gamble may pay off. I think right now the risk to Spirit, since it came back up to about $7.20 a share on Friday, I think buying Spirit right now, the risk to this deal not happening is much greater than the reward for the deal happening. And the reason why I say that is because I don't see it happening now. Um, and now gotcha. they're looking at refinancing the debt. Uh, they've been among one of the issues here too, that kind of happened to them. One of the things that kind of pushed them this far was there's been a kind of a snag with RTX's Pratt and Whitney geared turbofan engines. Um, and spirit is the largest, um, uh, operator of those turbo engines um that use those uh, the problem with those turbo engines uh which was first disclosed in july of last year stems from defects with powder metal used to make some of the popular pratt and whitney geared turbofan engines this is a flaw that can cause cracks uh and this is rtx corporation formerly known raytheon um they said that about 600 to 700 engines beyond the company's early forecast, will have to be removed for shop visits through 2026. This is actually really affecting Spirit because they're the largest operator that has been using these engines. Um, if you're looking at uh, Spirit here, some analysts are saying now that the company is contemplating bankruptcy, even though they just said they're not. Um, I think behind closed doors, this is something that they have to keep in mind. Uh, Spirit's only got $929.26 million in cash right now. They've got $8 billion in total liabilities, uh, $1.32 billion in shareholder liabilities, and $9.36 billion in assets. Uh, Debt-to-equity ratio here is like 214%, which is insanely high. I Yeah, I just, I'm not touching it. Their balance sheet is a mess. Um, yeah. If if you were buying it for the acquisition, I'm sorry it didn't happen. Sell. Get out because this thing could be going to zero. And with only $1.32 billion uh, in shareholder liabilities, uh, $9.36 billion in assets, um, I think their, uh, their shareholder equity is somewhere in like the $1.5 billion range right now. Um, and they've got $1.5 billion in short-term debt. They don't know how they're going to pay. So you may not get your money back on this. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think spirits, uh, in a downward spiral, they, if they don't get bought out, they can withstand a few more years before eventually bankruptcy will have to be forced upon them. 
Yeah, bond holders and um, priority debt holders, they get their money first. If there's nothing left after that, shareholders do not get anything. Even if there's a bankruptcy. Um, well, even, I think that's even how it works in bankruptcy. So I, I think the most concerning thing here, Brandon, to think about is the fact that uh, we're having more and more of these problems in the airline industry with these parts and these smaller companies building all these parts. Everybody's resting, yeah, man. It, it's not, uh, you know, this quality um, quality is not happening. Everybody's rushing to get stuff out to the market, and uh, quality checks are not being done correctly. I mean, we've seen this with Boeing multiple times over the past couple of years, and now you see it with RTX Corporation with those turbofan engines. I think it's a concerning trend. Yeah, it's very much a concerning trend. I mean, yeah, I'm going to be worried every time I get on the plane now. <laughs> is this is this door gonna blow out? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy, crazy times. All right, man. What else you got? That's all I got. Man, a short day from Brandon. All right, swinging it back over here to David. All right, let's start with articles because I always like to start with these because you never know they may take off, they may not take off into the discussion, but uh, I do like to start with them. So first one, headline reads, this came out uh, Friday, 1228. Um, headline reads, Sam Altman seeks to raise billions for network AI chip factories. Um, if you don't know who Sam Altman is, he's the CEO of OpenAI. Well, he's now back being the CEO. There was a period where he was no longer the CEO. <laughs> you know, what's funny about that is that 90, what was it? They said like 90% of the staff wanted him gone in like a vote. And then... Uh, Microsoft, like they're, they're one of the biggest uh, uh, cooperation. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Uh, one of the biggest allies is like, no, no, he's going to be back. And then all of a sudden he's back. That was weird. Anyways, um, he plans to use billions of dollars he's trying to raise for a chip venture for setting up a network of factories that will manufacture semiconductors. Again, building more factories. And these factories are not going to be in Taiwan. I think there's, there's more of a theme here, Brandon, but... Altman has talks with several large potential investors and hopes to raise vast sums of money needed for chip fa fabrication plants, colloquially known as FABs. The, the report said um, they're going to work in a global scope. Uh, they all, they uh, require copious amounts of natural resources in addition to the billions of dollars in funding. So he's basically asking everybody else to give this in for free, and he'll just pay him back with you know hopes and dreams that his open AI uh, actually works here. Um, Abu Dhabi based G42 and Japan's SoftBank are among the firms that have held discussion of OpenAI boss. But the talks are still early and a fully uh, full list of all partners and funders have not been established. Japan's SoftBank has not had good record lately with uh, acquisitions except for the one that just went uh, public, Arm Holdings. I was questioning Arm Holdings. I said like – the whole AI thing, I don't know if they're going to make money on that, but they have a sound core base. Their stock actually went up. So they had a, a good run on that because SoftBank owns them at $65 a share, and I believe last time I was trading was 74 So Matsuyo-san uh, made some good moves there with SoftBank. Uh, is this a good move for him here with OpenAI? He's really pushing hard into the AI here and trying to use his billions at work in here. But they also, uh, with the... The, the the talks with G42, uh, with which the chat GBT make, uh, maker partnered in October of last year, uh, focused on uh, raising 8 to $10 billion for this. Uh, they don't know how this is going to go. Um, 
And uh, Taiwan Semiconductor is, man, I guess I should have read the end of this article, is one of the potential partners for OpenAI. So they might actually build a plant in Taiwan. Uh, Brandon, thoughts? That's one of the things that actually is, um, you know, that they're projecting to eat into the earnings. And, and one of the reasons why they're looking at 40 to 42 percent gross margin rather than the 53 percent margin that they were at prior. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor is looking at uh, spending a lot of shareholder capital on moving into the future of artificial intelligence. So that's probably part of it. Um, as far as ARM goes with SoftBank, so let's try to separate you know, the skill from the luck. And, and I have to wonder with arm now trading at 154 times earnings. And it was a pretty high uh, price to earnings ratio and pretty high valuation at the IPO as well before, you know, it went up as high as it is right now. Um, I, you know, I would want to say that, you know, SoftBank had great timing on it, but I think they got lucky, lucky on the timing um, just happened to be when the bull market was starting to build back up that we're not now confirmed to be back in again right now. Um, and, and I think the speculation and, and the adrenaline rush that goes into to buying stocks and, and trying to uh, make a lot of money overnight has kicked back in. Um, if if that wouldn't have happened, if if the speculative um, bug hadn't hit investors, I don't think they would have done very well with arms. Uh, I, I don't I don't think that this move in arm up to it's actually now at seventy eight dollars and sixty cents a share. I really don't think it has anything to do with fundamentals. I think it has a lot to do with AI speculation. Yeah, and I agree. AI currently still still the buzzword in the uh, stock and invest in tech sector. Um, if you have AI listed with your company, you you're, you're going to get a little bump still. Um, and it it can take a couple of years for this to weed out, if you will, the 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 underperforming companies that will disappear, and the and the performing companies that ones that are actually going to lead the way going forward will be around still. And arms arms probably going to be a leader. I just think that it's overvalued right now. No, I agree, and I covered that in uh, a few months ago. I agree with you one hundred percent. Overvalued. Um, I don't see the numbers there to support the seventy-four dollars a share since they're currently not making any any profit that I'm aware of off the AI. To all their profit is making off the other business, the core business, yeah. the one that is making the money that allowed them to do these AI things. Um, and so that business is profitable, but the AI I don't believe is profitable for ARM yet. If you separate those two sections, but uh, Matsio Sun, he's been known to take uh, chances. Uh, he he uh, bought up Sprint back in the day, built it up, uh, bought all that uh, 5G um, spectrum, if you want to call it that, and uh, <clears throat> was investing heavily in Sprint. Then sold it off to T-Mobile. Um, he's he's bought uh, com- he's invested in companies like WeWork <laughs> before, so that we're, those are the one of his failures that he has spent money in. Uh, but he has been known to take risk and uh, take a chance on on people rather than just uh, the fundamentals alone. Uh, so. He can be a wild card, but uh, you know it sounds like uh, they're behind us here, and it sounds like uh, uh, G42 um, is also uh, going to be working with them because G42 already works with ChatGPT, so that looks like a, a good mix there as well. Sprint and T-Mobile was my first M and A play, and there really? were a lot, there were a lot of roadblocks to that deal and a lot of speculation surrounding it, and so it actually wound up being a really great learning experience for me. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Let's move on to the next one. 
The next one here, this one is on CNBC. Uh, this came out today at 7.17 a.m. Um, and the uh, author is Gabrielle uh, Von Roeg. Um And the headline reads, The buy now, pay later holiday debt hangover has arrived as consumers wonder how they pay the bills. I, I think you and I have talked about this plenty, but now it's like, okay, was is Dave and Brandon actually going to be correct? You're like, are we going to see this come January and February of all these people defaulting or not paying, paying bills? And so the article is very lengthy. I recommend anyone, please, just if you have like a few minutes, go in there, read the article, uh, get in. They give you some examples of uh, people that are had that that they've quoted in a story saying that their installments are starting up. They have no idea how they're going to pay off. Some people are talking about selling off clothes. Some people are just saying, just let it go in default. Um, yeah, so in and let me read some lines here from this, which is what I typically do. But in an era where persistent inflation, record high interest rates are shaping financial decisions for many shoppers, the service helped fuel a boom in overall online spending that topped out at $222 billion from November 1st through the end of December. During the season, buy now, pay later usage hit an all-time high, rising a staggering 14% from prior year, contributing $16.6 billion to online spending. Now you may ask what's going to happen when everybody starts defaulting, right? Well, I mean, there's there's some more things to know about this, right? Um, I highlighted this. So Affirm, they have said that the short-term and high-velocity nature of its buy now Pay later services makes traditional credit metrics less relevant because it writes off those unpaid loans within 120 days, which is why it doesn't disclose delinquency rates for the service. It does disclose other credit metrics for longer term loans. But since these are short term loans, they don't even disclose the delinquency rates. We'll never really truly know, Brandon, what the delinquency rates are. That's just because they just write it off. Um, and, you know, it's just, you, I mean, it goes into, in this article, it goes into other details like Cyber Monday alone, the buy now, pay later, you spiked nearly 43% uh, compared to years before. A lot of people are going in here, interest rates, and, and some of the, a lot of these services is over 20% interest rate on a lot of these services. Um, Klarna, PayPal, Affirm all use this. Um, and they all declined. All three declined the share buy now, pay later delinquency rates with CNBC. And this is what makes me wonder, is a firm going to report a horrible first quarter earnings report when it goes around to uh, Q2 and they have to report earnings? Yep. Because are they going to be writing off all this? Yeah, probably. I mean, they probably don't have it figured out yet. So, I mean, that's probably going to be right before the earnings report comes out that they figure out what the delinquency rate is. I would assume it's higher because I think these interest rates have caught a lot of people who don't pay attention to the Federal Reserve and to the banking you know, system as much as we do. Uh, these higher interest rates have caught a lot of people off guard. And it's not just hitting credit, by the way. It's not just hitting um, credit cards. It's this is um, insurance uh, rates that are going high, right, higher right now, I think up around 20% um, over the past year. Uh, and, and that's hurting businesses and then just the higher cost of just about everything. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Very much a higher cost about everything, but I do want to see what a firm PayPal and Klarna report in Q2 for Q1. Uh, I, I really want to see what these numbers are because 
they, they're not disclosing them. And the fact that they're unwilling to disclose them just makes me wonder. And I know because they are public companies, they do have to disclose, you know, uh, write-offs, like things that they've written off. And then we'll just see a dollar amount. We won't see a percentage of their total business, or but you could kind of do math and work it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you dig into the numbers, like I'm sure, you know, Brandon and I can. But, you know, that's that's one thing to do. Uh, so I, I'm concerned about that. I we we've talked about this, this is gonna happen. People were gonna go in debt. Um, uh, people were gonna spend way too much. Uh, we've been mentioning it. I, I was more worried about the Apple credit card for some reason. That one's holding up fine. So I got it wrong. I knew there was a problem somewhere, but I got it wrong on where the problem was. So so far at least. Right? So far at least. There we go. All right. So um all right, uh, this this last one here is an article from Bazinga. Uh, came out Saturday morning at 5.31 p.m. It says, Economist Christoph Barard predicts surprising U.S. economic resilience in 2024. Barard's latest economic insights discussed with Business Insider came after a period marked by numerous challenges such as the pandemic, supply chain disruptions, and varying monetary policies. Reflections on the past year, Barard noted, quote, I was surprised by the resilience of the U.S. economy because at the beginning of 2023, I was expecting some kind of recession, end quote. And they agree with you, Brandon. Um, he also projected a 2.5 increase in the GDP by year end to this year. And if you go by the January barometer, he might be correct. Um, however, Broad warned of several challenges ahead. He pointed out issues like reduced savings, resumption of student loan payments, wage normalization, and stringent uh, credit conditions. I think he's reading from our script here in the show, but let's keep going. He also identified geopolitical tensions, particularly in the Middle East, as the primary global economic threat. Here's another quote from uh, Barrard. To be honest, right now, it's a political situation, a Middle East situation, because it evolves quite quickly. And the reality is people are not able to forecast this kind of thing. Usually everyone is surprised by that. Brandon, thoughts? I'm not sure that that's actually the largest global threat in the Middle East right now. It's what's happening right now. But that kind of always happens in the middle east so i think it's just something that we've learned to live with there it happens quite a bit you know israel palestine lebanon um what throw a map at a at a uh, or throw a dart at, a, at a, a map of the middle east and there's always some sort of conflict going on there what i'm concerned about is president xi from china saying that china will reunite with taiwan in his um, recent address. And then obviously the Taiwan citizens disagree with that. They reelected a um, leader there that is uh, anti-China, so to speak. Uh, But I'm more concerned with that. That's where 67% of our semiconductors come from. So NVIDIA, Microsoft, you know, Intel, those guys all draw up the plans for the uh, semiconductors. They send it down to Taiwan Semiconductor and they manufacture them down there. it's good news that we're starting to get away from that, move some of these foundries and such uh, to different countries. But that's what I'm concerned about. That's what would really have a negative impact on um, the global supply chain for all electronics. Because, um, you know, China going to war with Taiwan, trying to take it back over like Shai or she or whatever his name is, says he's going to do. That's a scary, scary prospect to have. 
Um, that's more what I'm worried about as far as geopolitical issues go. Uh, I do think that a lot of analysts on television and a lot of people are now thinking, you know, that we're good to go. Uh, there's, there's a sunny disposition in the market. And we're kind of back to this whole, you know, it's different this time mentality. And those kind of those kind of rallies can be, you know, rip your face off kind of rallies. And, and you know, trading, you, don't, you, you might not want to miss that. But, you know, it, I want to have a sunny disposition and have that feeling that everybody else has. No, you don't. No, that, you don't. <laughs> that we just, yeah, I do, because it would be great for investments and, and the fundamentals would match up with what the market's doing. But. I can't. I just can't. Like, you know, the yield curve inversion, sometimes that could take two to three years for a recession to happen after that. Um, all these things that have happened in the market with the yield curve inversion, the, the stuff that happened with the uh, with the banks last last year, um, the regional banks and and investments and and commercial real estate, all that stuff happens before a recession. And it's almost every single time we have a recession afterwards. It's different this time is never different this time. It's always the same. It's always the same market cycle. And just because we were wrong about the timing of the recession doesn't mean that we were wrong about the reasons for the recession. And it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I, I, I think that there's a lot of precursors in here for that. We have a good possibility, but again, the January barometer has been correct over 85% of the time since 1970. And right now, we're looking at all-time highs. Uh, now, every year, even on a good year, we still have a correction or two. So there's still opportunity for things to dip down and have opportunities to buy in at a great value. Um, but right now, it's looking like we're going to have an up year. Now, how good of an up year it is, I don't know. Because that barometer okay. just mean that barometer just means that it's going to be positive. It doesn't yeah, say well, I mean, a lot. To be fair, it only took two and a half percent to get us there since the start of the year because we were kind there of all go. rally going into you know this year. So there you go. Um, but yeah, so you know, back to what uh, back to what the there's this analyst here that we're we're quoting uh, was saying. Um, Barad, you know, they're saying there's a lot. There's some headwinds. He's not discounting the headwinds like you, uh, like just like you. You guys are including those in, but he's also saying like the economy is still strong. He sees a two point five increase in GDP, which is where we need to be in order to yeah. pay our bills. But yeah, I'm just afraid that if we get that increase, then you know Congress can be like, oh, we're doing better. Let's let's pass more spending. Um, no, let's just pay our bills. How about that? Um, there's. There's some good news out there is what, uh, what I'm looking at. And uh, I, I agree with the balance approach of Barrage here. So Yeah, and me too. It has been surprisingly resilient. There you go. And I want to mention something. So now, now we're done with that. I want to mention something that uh, you brought up about insurance, right? So there was a CNBC article by Robert Hume on Friday. And it said a stealth inflation cost is hidden corporate profits and consumer wallets. This came up on the J.B. Hunt earnings call. And I want to I want to quote this correctly, so I, I got to pull it up. Give me one second. I had to pull it up. Here it is. Soaring insurance costs have hit companies such as freight shipper J.B. Hunt hard. During Thursday's earnings report, it said it took a hefty $53 million charge or $0.38 cents per share related to higher insurance and claims expenses in the last quarter. So insurance premiums are going up across the board due to insurances. So consumers are filling in homeowners and auto policies. 
Uh, business uh, insurance is going higher, and it's uh, and as an average here, they gave it. homeowners renewals uh, spiked twenty one percent, auto policies spiked seventeen percent. So these are all added into more monthly costs yeah. out of the business of, uh, of just some, your home. Some carriers um, provide a basic uh, freight insurance for companies too. Um, and, and this is needed, especially if you've got a um, load that you're carrying that's $100,000 or more, which is often um, of product. Uh, and so those kind of insurance uh, uh, rates, they might be hitting J.P. Hunt as well. Um, you know, if you're carrying $100,000, $200,000, sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes you can have almost, you know, $500,000 or even higher in just apparel as far as a load goes. So, um, you know, those rates might be hitting them as well. And, and, and that's a tough time to have to deal with it when freight rates have uh, dropped as far as they have for them. Yeah, it, that is a, a tough time to deal with. I think J.B. Hunt was hurt. I think the numbers from J.B. Hunt said it was a drop in their intermodal, intermodal shipping. And that's where you go from rail to uh, you had those little uh, you see them on cargo ships. I'm yeah. trying to describe this to a, someone listening yeah. in the car right now. It's those containers on cargo ships. That you have a big crane pops it, picks it up, puts it on a truck. They could drive it to a rail yard and they put it up, put it on a train uh, rail and it goes over there. Then it picks it up, puts it on a truck to go to the final stop. Yeah. That, those uh, that's where J.B. Hunt lost some business and they're hoping to get that back because. They're they're trying to push for this uh, the the climate agenda and say hey it's it's more climate efficient for us to ship this by rail if you use intermodal it's better it's cheaper it's uh, all the way better around uh, plus uh, JB Hunt has all those AV uh, trucks that they're trying to still continue to get down the road I know they pushed off and held back on some of that and pulled back because of the issues that Wamo was having out in California but I know they eventually want to move forward with that so. The, the whole intermodal system works well with what J.B. Hunt's forward vision is, is that you bring it by rail, we pick it up, we put it on a Thomas vehicle, they take it to the final mile, and, you know, there's really hardly any actual drivers involved in the process. Yeah, you just add, you, you know, you could add five to seven days, if not more, if you're going by rail, but it is much cheaper to do it that way. And intermodal, think of um, intermodal, that's basically what the word means is you're using two or more different kinds of modes of transportation for the same load. So, um, but yeah, it's always cheaper to go rail, always adds a little bit more time to uh, that delivery rather than just loading it straight onto a truck and taking the container to wherever it needs to go uh, or transloading it out of the container at the port and going onto a semi truck and, and, you know, taking it to the final destination there, that's faster, but it costs more money to do that. So there you go. All right. I want to look ahead at this week. We got lots of earnings coming up. Um, in fact, on, uh, just to give you guys an example, if you're listening right now on Monday, there's 196 earnings on Tuesdays, 184 earnings on Wednesday, there's 219 earnings Thursdays, 229 earnings and Friday there's 68 earnings. But for Monday, uh, the ones I'm looking at. So hopefully you're listening to us Monday morning. You got uh, First Republic Bank. That was a big headliner. I day traded it during that whole regional bank crisis. They're going to report some earnings. I want to see what their write downs were for last year total, how they did as a year, um, if they were able to swing it back around at the second half of the year. You also have First Bank Corp, Zion's Bank Corp. A lot of regional banks coming up uh, tomorrow. Citizens Bank Corp. I mean, it's like regional bank Mondays, what you can actually call it. Uh, the 
Biggest name uh, reporting earnings tomorrow, in my mind, uh, will be Microsoft. Microsoft reporting earnings. I'm really interested in what they have to say as far as AI going forward. Um, and then uh, their cloud. Their cloud business is bringing in the money hand over fist for them, and it's paying for everything else as far as research and development. So is their cloud business still booming, or have we plateaued and leveled off? That's what I'm looking at because Google – uh, cloud business saw a drop. So did Microsoft pick that up or did somebody else pick it up? That's what I want to see in their numbers uh, and see what, what they say tomorrow. I'll definitely be looking forward to that. Yeah, me Brandon. too. Man, I really wish, honestly, I love <laughs> my job that I have right now, but if it could be my job just to listen to earnings calls all day and analyze them, I'd be so happy. This is my favorite time of year. Every three months when this comes around, when all the companies start reporting, I'm a happy person. Plenty for me to listen to on the drive to and from work uh, when it comes to the earnings calls. I'm sure our show will be packed full next week. Right, right. Yes. Uh, but we said that last week and we didn't, we only covered one earnings, JB Hunt. So go figure. Hey, I covered uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. Yeah, you did uh, briefly, yeah. briefly. All right, Brandon. Uh, final thought, man. Well, Netflix is also coming up too. That'll be an interesting um, earnings call, in my opinion. Uh, Nelson Pelt still trying to get on the board at Disney there, trying to get his nominees elected at the board. I don't really care anymore. Um, I like uh, Bob Iger's vision. The only thing that I agree with when it comes to Nelson Peltz right now is trying to get streaming back on track. I think everybody agrees with that, including Bob Iger. Uh, but, but the big thing that I agree with him on is let's find out who Bob Iger's successor is going to be because Bob Iger coming back to Disney has always supposed to have been temporary. So I want to know who's going to replace him also. But as far as the board goes, I don't care. At this point, I don't care. I think Bob Iger being in position is enough for me to hold Disney. I have enough faith in that guy to where we don't need, you know, six or whatever it was, um, activist investors on the board mucking things up. So I said mucking. So we're keeping this clean. Nice. Uh, My final thoughts is Tesla took a huge hit last week. Um, and it was due to China, uh, and, and Tesla having to lower the price of their cars in and China. We also, uh, let me, let me just say this. We also had this situation in Chicago and, uh, mostly North central United States where people could not charge their vehicles. Anyways, uh, that you did not, that, that, they were there for days. So it was like just a, a, a less than a handful of charging, uh, Station locations in the whole country uh, would not drive down Tesla stock that much. I'm well, sorry, the news, the that, news, that's that's the that's, that's ridiculous. It was the China, it was the China news, and it was the fact that China, uh, in China, Tesla had to lower the prices of the cars to be competitive. What I don't, what what I mean, is that a twenty percent? I don't want to. I don't want to say it's not fair, but uh, I mean, the Chinese EV uh, car companies have a government subsidy that uh, Tesla is having to compete with. Tesla is still profitable on their cars. They do not deserve the stock price drop that they had. Even though they're selling them cheaper, they are still profitable. Ford, Rivian, Lucid, none of these other uh, EV car companies or or uh, companies that make EVs can still be profitable and compete with the Chinese EV uh, automaker other than Tesla right now. And that's why I say Tesla, because of this huge drop, offers a great buying opportunity to get in after a big dip and uh, buy Tesla on the cheap. 
That's my uh, I, I think it's a buy too, but I'm just saying that's a PR nightmare to have a graveyard of robots on television everywhere. Um, and then you know, if, if somebody's thinking about buying an EV and then they see that, like, oh, I might not be able to charge it in the winter, even if it's wrong, even if that's not you know right, that's you know, a mindset's probably costing them sales in the future. So, you know, why people most people use these charging stations? Uh, a number one, they don't have a garage, yeah. Uh, that's number one, number one reason. Number two is a lot of these charging stations, uh, because of this green initiative and bills pass, uh, will offer free charging if you want to use their charging stations or closer parking spots. I know at our local supermarket chain here, Kroger, um, they have charging spots where you can use it for free currently. Um, that they might start making you pay here soon, but they, they have charging spots where you can use it for free and charge your car. Now, uh, the if you just charge it at home and you have a garage, then you won't have to ever worry about that. You know, batteries in the winter time when it's cold out, um, the charge level on any battery, car battery, whatever battery you're using, drops down. So if uh, if it's not kept at a warmer temperature, then uh, yeah, there's a problem with that. So I would like to see uh, if those are all Tesla uh, yeah. makers or is it ChargePoint, Blink. Who is uh, who made all of them, or if it was just the Tesla ones only? And then, um, at home charging stuff costs thousands of dollars, so a lot of people didn't do that. I know, but when you get the car, they can kind of build that into your loan and your price. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So it's like it's it's an option. It's a choice people are making uh, in order to save a little bit of money. Is what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, that's that's my final thought. Is Tesla's a buy at at these levels off the dip? I, I would definitely buy and hold, not uh, trade. But I mean, you probably could trade it a swing trade. I say two, three weeks timeline. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, all right, uh, that's all I got. So as always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.